when I was going through that, God began to speak to me and he began to just tell me, you know, if you have your hands on this situation, there's nothing that I can do with the situation. Welcome to the Real Talk 238 podcast with your host, Denise Lee, an Associate Licensed Counselor and Nationally Board Certified Counselor in the state of Alabama under the supervision of Cotina Stroud. The Real Talk 238 podcast has real conversations concerning taboo topics, which people may find themselves struggling with that may not be discussed, especially in relation to the church. The purpose of the Real Talk 238 podcast is to bring awareness, hope, and encouragement. Having these conversations will shed light on the truth and break the lie of being the only one, being stuck, isolated, and alone because there is someone else who has gone through something similar. Topics discussed on the Real Talk 238 podcast are not a substitute nor does it replace professional medical, psychiatric, psychological, or mental health advice, diagnosis, or treatment, and is intended strictly for informational and educational purposes only. All right, let's get started. Hey, everyone. I just wanted to come on and say hello and Real quick, before I start the interview, first of all, I just want to apologize because I've been so behind on releasing episodes. Part of the reason I have to edit the interviews that I do for the episodes to be released. And then the other part also is because I'm currently in school and I do see clients in both a private practice setting and at a clinic. And so just both those things right there, or all three of those things, does take time. But thankfully, there is an end goal of school in sight. I'm about ready to wrap up another semester. And then hopefully, if everything goes as I'm hoping planned, I will be fully licensed as a therapist in the state of Alabama, which means I will no longer have to be under supervision come February, I'm hoping. But anyways, that is my goal. And it just takes a lot of time. I really appreciate everyone's patience as I do put out this information I will just tell you, I've been told several times over and over how much this is needed. The episodes are not going away. Interviews are not going away anytime soon. I do have several interviews that have already been done. It's just a matter of getting them edited and getting them released. So I do apologize about my delay on that. But I do hope you are enjoying the podcast, all the episodes that have been released. And if you find any of the episodes are helpful or would benefit somebody that you know, please share the podcast with them. Share the episode with them. Also, if there is a topic that you would like me to discuss or possibly interview somebody on that I would see beneficial as having on, you know, please send me a message. You can send that through the email at it's therealtalk238 at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook. Some of our future topics that I have scheduled have to do with being involved in ministry. I've interviewed 
gentleman, super nice guy. He actually goes to my church. But about being in a wheelchair and what that's been like for him. I've also got a scheduled interview coming up about pornography. I know several have asked me about that. And then some other things. I've I've interviewed therapists and I've talked about we've talked about anger and mental health. Just all kinds of good stuff coming up. So as you well know, I do not shy away from the difficult conversations, but I will tell you I am tactful about how I handle them. And also, if I deem a interview that I've done as needing a trigger warning, I will put that. It's definitely not for kids to be listening to because of the information. Hope you enjoy this episode as I talk to Makiva Hearn and we talk about when you have a prodigal. Enjoy the podcast and enjoy the interview and have a blessed and wonderful day. Hey everyone, thank you today for listening to the Real Talk 238 podcast. I am your host, Denise Lee. Today I'm interviewing my podcast guest, Makiva Hearn. She's from Greenville, Texas, and she does network marketing for a virtual Southern mercantile franchise. She's married to Gerald, been married for 12 years. She has four children, no pets. Um, she goes to Living Word Church in Greenville, Texas, and she's been in the church for 16 years. And she currently serves in ministry as assisting her husband, who's the church outreach director, and she's also the children's outreach director slash Sunday school director. And she describes herself as fun with a slight sense of humor. I I think she has a great sense of humor that she uses to overcome her introverted side. She's loving and caring. She loves spending time with her family. And she tries to see the good in everything and everyone, striving each day to be more and more like Jesus. And a fun fact about her is that she calls herself an ambervert, which I was not familiar with this term until recently which is someone who exhibits qualities of both introvert and extrovert. I guess that's kind of like you stay in the introvert land and then you run over to extrovert side and then back over to introvert land. Depending on their mood, context, situation, goals, and people around them, ambiverts can switch to extroversion or introversion. Hey, how are you doing today? I am doing good. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. Anything you want to add to that intro? No, I think you I think you done very well. <laughs> if I had asked you to I asked Makiva to come on the podcast because she did a video on Facebook. You did a live video and you were talking about being the prodigal. And I was like, that's a much needed topic that I don't think a lot of people go into or talk about, or maybe they, some people don't think about what goes on when you're going through that phase of life as a prodigal. And you were particularly talking about one of your children. When you felt led to do that video, what was going on in your thoughts? Well, what was going on in my thoughts at the time, I had just got over a slight spell of just being a little depressed at the fact that my daughter was no longer in church. And I spent a couple of days just crying out to God and just found myself kind of questioning, not really questioning God, but just, you know, how, you know, how we can sometimes say how, you know, God, how can this, how can this happen after all the preparation that we've, we've done and all of the things that we've done in their life? And how could this one moment just out of nowhere, just begin to turn, take a turn for something different. And so at that moment, when I was going through that, God began to speak to me and 
he began to just tell me, you know, if you have your hands on this situation, there's nothing that I can do with the situation. And I had to look at it from a different perspective because when she would come around me and I would see her look a totally different way than the way that I've raised her or even act a totally different way, it would take me back and I would begin to feel a a lot of anger kind of from betrayal, feel like I've been betrayed. And so I would kind of lash out in my own way, you know, like, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to help her with this. I'm not going to speak to her. I'm not going to answer her phone call when she calls. And God was telling me, what are you doing? You're basically taking matters in your own hand and you're not allowing me to work the situation out. And he gave me a order to actually love her to the altar. And I didn't know what that meant at the time. I was like, Lord, how do I love her to the altar? And she's not even coming to church. She's not showing up when I ask her to come. She doesn't come even when she says she's going to come. She doesn't come. How do I love her to the altar? I don't think a lot of people think about that, especially when you have kids that are that have just gone a totally different direction. And because, yeah, you want them to come back to church and you want them to be a part of the church. And, you know, we we hang on to that scripture, raise a child up in the way they know they should go. And when they are old, they will not depart from it. And then, but yet you're seeing what doesn't even look like that. I mean, I've got chills when you said that about about loving them back to church. What What does that mean to love your child back to church? Well, God gave me part of that. He said, you know, how you're going to love her back to the altar is you're going to have to stay on your knees. You're going to have to go to your own personal altar and you're going to have to stay down there and you're going to have to love her from your place, from your place of your altar. And I was like, okay, God, I'm going to do that. I'm going to go to the altar every day. I'm going to take her to the altar with me when I go down and I come before you in your presence. I'm going to lift her up in prayer. And then it wasn't until about a week ago, my husband had said something that the Lord had gave him because he was struggling with the same thing. And I didn't know it. God pretty much gave him the same thing. And he said, you know what God told me? God told me when I see her, I need to see her as I want her to be. Instead of seeing where she's at right now, I need to look at her at the place I want her to be. And that way my actions will begin to change towards her because I see her in a different place. And with those two put together is how I got the revelation of what God was really telling me to do was to take her to the altar with me. And when I'm around her and when I'm with her, don't see her for where she is right now, but see her to where I want her to be. And when I started doing that, my whole attitude towards her changed. I had a greater, deeper compassion and love for her. The things that would bother me normally, not saying that they don't bother me still, but to the point to where I was feeling the anger and the resentment I that started to b- diminish a lot because I was looking at it through God's lenses. Oh my goodness. That's, that's just powerful. Woo. <laughs> that's just very powerful. And that that's really important to do that. When I think about like, say you take somebody who's trying to reach out to strangers. It's so much easier to do that for strangers than sometimes it is our own loved ones and our own family. It is. Was there any time in your life where you could maybe related to like what she was going through? Oh, yes, definitely. I could relate so much to what she was going through because um, when I saw the 
the situation she was in and how she left the church and how she became the prodigal, it was a exact replica of what I did when I was her age. And it was just like seeing myself, basically, when I saw her, I saw myself and I was like, my goodness, how can, and that's why it hurt so much was because I knew what I went through as a prodigal and to see the same steps that she was taking, it was like, how can I stop this? How can I get this to turn around to another way? And that's when God was telling me to take my hands off of it. Are you comfortable talking about what that path looked like for you? Oh, yes, that's fine. So when I was, I didn't get in church until I was about 10 years old. My mom didn't come to know the truth of God until I was about 10. So the first half of my childhood, I wasn't in church at all. But from 10 years on, I got into church and I started to get rooted and grounded in the truth. And my mom began to raise me in the truth from that day and got baptized when I was 13 years old in the name of Jesus. And from that point, I tried to live for God. I didn't have the Holy Ghost. So At that time, I didn't know what the Holy Ghost was. I just knew to be baptized in Jesus' name. I didn't know anything about the Holy Ghost. So I was trying to be perfect. I was trying to stop doing the things that I was doing as a kid. My biggest thing was cussing and lying. I was always doing those things. And I would always ask God, you know, God, okay, tomorrow I'm going to do better. Tomorrow I'm going to do better. And tomorrow came and I would mess up again. And I was trying so hard to, to be this perfect child for God. At the same time, I kept failing and failing at it. When I grew up, I had a stepfather and he was very verbally abusive. He would say things that would kind of be that voice in my head, you know, that you'll never be anything or you're you're nothing. And he would say those things to my mom, you know, she's going to have a baby before she even gets out of school. If she even finishes school, he would say those things. Those became my truth when I was went to church and got baptized and was trying to live for God. I was just trying to be perfect and trying to prove basically that I'm not going to be like that. I'm not going to be that person. I just kept failing and failing. And so I just felt like I can't do this. This is not, you know, what I'm going to be able to do. And a lot of that, there's a lot of things in there, like going to school, the peer pressure, and a lot of things that help, you know, push that needle through as well. So by the time I was 19 years old, I was in full rebellion. I turned 18 years old and I was like, oh, I'm living my own life now. I'm going to, I'm going to go do my own thing. And I no longer wanted to, wanted to live for God. And I was still going to church, but I wasn't, I wasn't living the way I needed to. I was still messing up. I was still going to church, but not being the church, but just going to church. I just got a boyfriend, got pregnant first boyfriend and got pregnant at 19 years old. I found myself a single mom, pregnant, out of wedlock, had my daughter. Then I began to hear those voices. Again, they started to speak a lot louder, but the voices were coming from the people that I was looking for as a safe place for me. They were coming from those people more than anything which were people from church were saying things. I was hearing things that they were saying, the same things that my stepfather spoke to me were the things that I was hearing. Oh, I knew she wasn't going to do anything. I knew she wasn't going to make it. I knew she wasn't going to live for God. I knew this would happen. And so I just accepted that as my life. And I got really angry and really bitter behind it. And I, I completely got out. The little bit of church that I was going to, I just completely took myself out. And I completely just went a totally different way. 
I had my daughter, I was single. And then I ended up getting hooked up with some friends and we started drinking and clubbing. We went to clubs and we would hang out on what they would call the block, which where people would get together and have parties and just hang out on a corner and just drink and everything. And even during those times when I was, wasn't living for God and I was just full rebellion, even then there was still something inside of me that I felt like I didn't belong. Even when I was trying so hard to belong in that place I was in, there was something that did just still made me feel like an outcast. I still felt like I didn't belong in that place, but I was trying to make myself fit because I didn't fit at church because everyone was talking about me. I thought everyone was talking about me, but it wasn't really everyone, but the devil would like me to think that it was everyone. I didn't belong there. So I was trying to fit here. I wasn't fitting there. Even though I was trying to look the part, I would dress the part. I would, I would wear the provocative clothing. I would drink when I hated drinking, but I would do it anyways because my friends were doing it. I would go to the club. I would have sex. All of the things that are against God, God's plan for my life, I was doing it. One day I was out on standing on the corner, hanging out with my friends and stuff. And this one guy came to me and he said, what are you doing here? And I just kind of looked at him and he was like, you don't belong here. And till this day, I believe that was God that used that man. Yeah. Did you know who the man was? I knew he came around a lot along with the other people that were coming, but I didn't really personally know him. But that particular time, he just came up to me. He was like, what are you doing here? And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, you don't belong here. Like, you're nothing like any of these other girls. You're, you're, you have a job, you have a car and you have all these things going for yourself. Why are you here? And I just kind of blew him off and just kind of laughed, but that stuck with me. That stuck with me. And I couldn't get it out of my mind. Everything that I would do, I would just think about that voice that was saying, you know, why are you here? What are you doing here? And then again, I started feeling that rejection, you know, why you don't belong, you know, but it was God really using him to speak to me and tell me that I have a better place for you. I have a place for you in my kingdom and you don't belong here. Eventually I started feeling like I didn't belong. It's a funny story, but I started feeling like I didn't belong there. And I would try to make myself fit in that place. And then a little bit after that, I didn't want to belong there. And then I started really thinking about God more. And, and I was like, you know, I, maybe I don't belong here the desire started to just go away. And the things that I was loving to do, it was just, I just wasn't having a desire for it. The fr- my friends would come around and they'd be like, hey, you want to go out? You want to go do this? And I was like, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that anymore. How old was your daughter at this point? At this point, she was about maybe a year old, a year and a half. And at that At that particular time, I was not the best mother to her because I was hanging out in the streets and hanging out with my friends and and doing everything. So she was always with my mom. I would always drop her off with my mom. And then uh, when my mom would go to work, I would have her with me through that time. And then as soon as nighttime hit, I'd take her to my mom and leave her there with my mom until the next morning. And I would repeat that process. So she was about a year, a year and a half years old through that whole process. I would do that. And sometimes I would have her with me there 
embarrassing to say, but I would have her there with me and everyone would have their kids. And, and looking back on it, I know it was nothing but the grace of God because it wasn't the right place for me to have her. It wasn't the safest place. And God just had his hands on us. One night, I just decided I want to go to church. I woke up, got dressed, took one of my friends with me. I said, I, I, you want to go to church with me? And she's like, are you serious? And I was like, yes. And so I walked into an apostolic church. It wasn't the same church. I had already decided I wasn't going to go back there. So I went to a different church and we both walked in that church. We never looked back since. That day we walked in and the power of God hit both of us. And she was Jehovah Witness. And she's never been into a church service like that before. She ended up getting baptized in Jesus' name and getting the Holy Ghost. And when we left there, we never looked back. Now, is she still in church? Yes. She doesn't go to church with me anymore, but she is still, she's still in church. Wow, that's awesome. So you both go into this church. You know, sometimes when people have walked away from church, when people come back in, they'll have all this added extra baggage that they didn't have before. Like before it was just what I call the negative voices, the Mm -hmm. maybe one or two people, maybe a handful of people. Not everybody, but it was like, like you said, those voice, they were making those comments and that was that rejection. Like with your stepfather, the things he would say, it was kind of like, well, if he said that and they're saying that maybe that's true. It's like, I'm done with this. I'm not doing this no more. But then you come back, you, you still have that. You still have those negative voices. And I always talk it, I always say it's like this thing, this, this negative talk behind your head that's like behind your ear, just tap, 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 tap. But then when you come back into church, it's like, not only do you have that, now you have all this extra stuff. Right. How do you work through that process? With me, it was hard, but because I didn't go back to the same church, it was a little bit easier because the church that I did go to, people didn't really know my past. They didn't know the things that I went through. So it was a little bit easier for me, but I still had that I would call it, it was unforgiveness that I had inside of me, just not forgiving myself, basically, for just allowing myself to believe that that was that was who I was. And I just had to, it was just like, like David, he went through so many things, although he was a great man of God, and he slew an army and he slew Goliath, but he also had problems. He lost his entire his family, you know, his, he lost his child and his son rebelled against him and his other son slept with his half sister. And he had all these problems in his family and that he had to deal with. And that's how it was with me. I had the hurt from my stepfather, things my stepfather said to me growing up. And then I had the hurt from the church. And then I had the hurt that I caused myself and the shame that I dealt with as well of having a child out of wedlock. That was a shame by itself that I had to deal with. I had to come to a place to where like David did, I had to come to a place where it was like, I had to have godly sorrow against God and God only. I had to agree with God that what I did was wicked and evil in his sight. And I had to agree with that. That's when God began to work that process in me, the healing process. Then I had to go through the unforgiveness because I had a lot of unforgiveness and God had to deal with that with me as well. And it wasn't easy because I would still see the same people that I did go to church with because we stayed in the same town. I had to see that as well. And so I had to learn to forgive. And it was a long process to do that. And when I began to learn to forgive, all of that stuff started to eventually just go away. The more that I would 
work through my forgiveness and speak those names out loud to God and ask God to forgive those people and to forgive me and my stepfather. My stepfather ended up passing away when I was 16 years old. He passed away, but I still his voice still haunted me and those words still haunted me. Even growing up, those voices were still there. Every time I would hear someone say something close to that, it would come back and I'd have to learn to just forgive, forgive and release it unto God. I can't really say how I worked through that other than the fact that I just had to just surrender all of it to God and help have God heal me through the process through forgiveness. That's how I was able to get through all of that was the forgiving, the journey of forgiveness, just forgiving people and learning how to forgive the different people, you know. Yes, that's a great point that you bring up because it it is, it's a learning, it definitely is a learning process. It's definitely one of those things that it's not easy. No. You know, you'll be going through life and think you've you've conquered that one thing. And then sure enough, it'll come up and smack you right in the face when you least expect it. And it's mm-hmm. like, whoa, I, I thought I had that taken care of. No, you still got some more work to do. And another thing too, with forgiveness, and then also dealing with Pat, whether it's church hurts, or whether it hurts from family situations, whatever the case, some people are under the impression that when you go to church, you go to the altar, you pray, you leave it there, and we get up and it's all fine, wonderful. And we've just, I don't know, let's, right. let's go get our happy meal. I don't know. But, um, <laughs> but it's, it's not that way. It's and, not. you know, and, you know, one thing that, and I'm very passionate about forgiveness. I've been studying it for a long time. I, I talk a good bit about it with clients. And one of the things that people I have found throughout my period of time in church is that it's that expectation. You, you just let it go. And yeah, I, I don't know about you. But I have not found anybody to teach me, how do you let it go? Like, there's no class on it, you know? And then if there was, I don't know if they, if it could be really taught because it's one of those things that it's not a one-time deal. It's a, it's a process. And what was your experience on like going through that process of forgiveness? And I mean, I know you touched on forgiveness, but like letting it go. What was that process like? It was really hard because I would forgive. I would think about it and I would feel so much anger. Um, Even when my stepfather passed away, I was, it's not even something that I'm proud about. But even as a 16 year old, I was like, thank God, you know, and I know that's terrible to think, but that's how bad my unforgiveness was. It was just like, thank God. And a part of me was hurt, but then a part of me was like a relief because I lived through that trauma my half of my childhood. That was the biggest thing that got me in my forgiveness was the the deal with my stepfather. I would have to just ask God to forgive. And when I would do it, when I first doing it, I didn't know how to do it. So I would just, God, help me to forgive people, help me to forgive people. And I had to realize it was deeper than that. I couldn't just say, God, help me to forgive. I literally had to open my mouth and speak the name of the person as bad as I didn't want to. I literally had to speak it out loud. I had to actually unlock that cage that was holding me back. I would just say, you know, God, forgive them. 
and I would have to call out their name. And it took me a long time to do that. And even until I was married, I still didn't have all of the unforgiveness out of me. A lot of that my husband helped me through with the unforgiveness on, he talked about, you know, God said to forgive 70 times seven. And that's, I think that's like 490 times. Right. He was like, I don't know anyone that can offend you 490 times in a day. That's like three, every three minutes. I like who hates you that bad or who do you hate that bad where you have to forgive them that many times a day? Are they offended you that many times a day? And he helped me to realize that it's not that they offended me that many times a day. It's that many times a day that thought came to my mind. And I had to ask God, you know, God, I forgive and I release. I forgive and I release this hurt to you. I forgive and I release this pain to you. Just doing that over and over and it eventually it went away. It didn't hurt as much. And then it didn't hurt as much anymore until it. I went a day without even thinking about it, you know, and that's the same thing with my daughter going through that same process again, you know, just God, I forgive and I release this hurt to you. God, I see her as you see her. I see her as I see her, as I see her, not right now, but as I know she's going to be. And when I see that, it helps to helps with that unforgiveness. It helps with that hurt that I feel inside. Where are things at right now with her? Um, right now, she's she's still not in church. She has, um, before when she did move out, she moved out about six months ago. As soon as she graduated high school, she was, she was ready to get on her own. Now she's she lives a city over about 15 minutes away from me. Got She has her own place. But it's really hard because the things that I tried to teach her at home, how to steward her finances, how to live for God, how to do um, those things. I know that there are people that are praying for her. And I know that God is working um, because she messaged me a few nights ago and she's like, mom, I, I understand everything that you tried to teach me. Everything that you and dad said to me, I understand it now. It's so hard out here trying to live and be an adult. It's so hard, you know, being trying to live without God. But even though she's at that place where she still doesn't want to come because she's still holding on to things she doesn't want to let go. She has a boyfriend and a lot of that she doesn't want to let go. It's really hard to just to see her in a place like that when you know God has a better plan for her and she has so much potential in her life that God has for her. So she still, she comes, she came around the other day. Um, she comes around every now and then, but it's not the same. We don't see her as, you know, she stops by and she stays about 15 minutes and then she's gone, but it's not that connection that we had when she was growing up. You know, the family, the family meetings, the family outings, the family gatherings, the hugs, the let's go out to eat, let's go shop, let's do this. We don't do that. And that's the part that hurts because that's my baby. And I see her do the same things that I've done when I was a prodigal with my mom and the things that my mom went through. I completely understand now. Yeah, it, it is. It's challenging as a parent because there's things we go through. And like you said, there's things that that our parents had to deal with us about. And here, here it is like kind of full circle almost. And I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes I wish God had a, had provided a little bit better map. Hey, if you if you do this, you're gonna head this direction, and it's gonna be rough. I mean, he did. Right. He gave he gave us the word, but for some people like me, it's like I I need visual. Right. <laughs> I just need a, I need a visual picture. Um, yes. So how, as far as like with what you've gone through, you know, as the prodigal, that experience and then with your daughter, how has that impacted your ministry? It has, I can say it has definitely have, it's given me a new eye 
on on just other people, um, other prodigals, other people that have left church and other people that that don't even know God, you know, it has opened my eyes to be more compassionate because you just you never know until it hits home. And when it hits home, then you can really see clearly, clearly everything, you know, you can be on the outside looking and, and think, oh, well, that kid left and oh my gosh, what's going on there? And then when it hits your home, it's like, it's nothing like you expected it or nothing that you thought when you saw it happen to someone else, you know? Yeah. You have firsthand knowledge of it and it's like, you have more compassion. There's really nothing you can do but pray and just ask God to take the wheel. When she first left, I beat myself up like, was I not a good enough parent? What did I do wrong? And and did I not? Oh, I, I battled with the fact of unhomeschooling her and putting her in public school. And I'm a terrible parent for that. And then I battled with, did I not give her enough freedom? Did I give her enough freedom? And it's simply, sometimes it's not even that. Sometimes it's a heart issue. They never got the relationship for themselves. Right. Or they didn't have the faith for themselves. And we can beat ourselves up about it. We did all that we can. And I had to come to that because I did beat myself up. And I was like, maybe I was too hard or maybe I was not hard enough or, you know, God, I wish I can redo this over again a different way, you know? Right. I just had to come to a realization that sometimes it's it's a hard issue. Yes, definitely. It's uh, one of those things. There's comes a certain age in a person's life. And for everybody, it's it's very different. And that's that age of accountability. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's not going to look, the same for from one person to the next. I mean, for one individual, that age of accountability could be 10 years old. And for another right. person, it may actually not be till they're 20 years old, just because of the the maturity level it has a lot to do with it. Or maybe they're, maybe it's somebody who is, has a special need, you know, and they, right. that aspect of it. I think the other thing too, you know, you talked about the compassion, but I also think with that comes the empathy because, because with empathy, you know, compassion, you, you feel, you know, you feel compassionate towards that person, but with empathy, it's like, you can feel their pain. Exactly. And, and it's, I mean, that, that's right there. It's, I don't know for myself, I find it to be challenging, not in a bad way, but when I feel that empathy is there, it's like, I want to so much reach out and hug. But it's not always appropriate to reach out and hug. Like with clients, that's not appropriate. But then like at church, some people are not okay. You know, they're they're just, that's just their personality. Maybe they're not okay with physical touch so much. And and there's that part of you that you really just want to grab them up and hug them. But it's like, you don't know how they'll receive that or because you don't know their background, what have you. Just, you're feeling it. That's for sure. You're just feeling it. Mm -hmm. And maybe too that, that helps us know how to pray for that person if we don't yeah. know anything else. So as we wrap up today, normally I have my guests talk to that one person. But with you, I actually want you to speak to two different individuals. One is the prodigal, the one that's out there that they're, I don't know, they're burnt with church. They're, they've had enough, but yet they're, there's that emptiness that they're trying to fill that void and it's not getting filled with anything. And then also talk to that parent who has a prodigal. So um, if you're a prodigal and you you left the church or you left God for that matter, I just want to speak to you and just, just tell you that you're not alone, that God is, he's there with you. You're bought 
with a price. And no matter how far you go, God is going to chase you down. He's going to search for you. Like the song says, there's no mountain he won't climb up chasing after you. I know you may feel like you're you're lost or you may feel like you don't belong. No one wants you, but you are wanted. You are wanted in the kingdom. And I just want, want you to know that you're not a mistake. You're not a nobody. You're not. I felt that when I was a prodigal. I felt like no one wanted me. I didn't belong. I would be nothing. And if you're feeling like that, that is a lie from the enemy that is out to destroy your soul. And if you would just come back home, come back to those who love you, even if you don't feel like they love you, they love you. They're praying for you. There are so many people that can reach out and help you if you need that help. If you need that help coming home, there are people that you can reach out to. Reach out to your family, reach out to your church, your pastor, a leader in your church, or even a friend in your church to help you. If you're sitting in that valley of decision and you're wondering, you know, should I go? Should I not go? Should I come back to God or should I? stay where I'm at, come back to God, because you don't know when your last breath is going to be or when the trumpet is going to sound. This world is winding up. Just know that you're loved. You're loved by the almighty God, and he cares for you very deeply. He bled and shed his blood for your life. And just know that you can come back home if you're if you're just trying to figure things out, don't try to figure it out. Just come home and let God work it out. Whatever the situation is, there is nothing too dirty that God can't clean up in your life. It's not too late for you. You still have life and breath in your lungs and you can still make a turnaround in your life. I am pleading for you and for your soul that you will come to God right now before it's too late. You may think that it's too late, but I'm telling you, it's not too late. His blood covers everything. And then what about the parent? Speak to that parent. Um, to the parent who has a prodigal, I just want to say, don't give up on your babies. No matter how old they are, if they get old in 50, 60, even 70 years old, or even if you have to take it to your grave, don't ever give up on your babies. The situation that you see right now, it may look like a mess. It may look like you can just light a match to it because there's no need to even try. Let me tell you, God can take a terrible, messy situation and he can make a message out of that situation. There is nothing that God cannot do. Whatever it is that your child, your prodigal is into, whether it's drugs, whether it's sexual immorality, whatever it is, do not give up on praying for your baby. Do not give up hope for your baby. If you're feeling like you're a failure as a parent, let me tell you, I've been there and I know what that feels like. And you have done all of the things that God has given you to do with the plans and the tools that he has given you. You have stewarded the things that he's given you and it's up to him to make the necessary changes and to bring your prodigal back. All you need to do is to pray and love your prodigal, love your prodigal to the altar. Like God told me, when you go down on your knees and you pray to God, you lift your prodigal up every day and you speak what you want to see your prodigal be. You speak those things into existence. Life and death is in the power of your tongue. And if you speak those positive things about your prodigal, God will see to it that it is done. Speak life over them. Even though the situation may seem dead, speak to those dry bones that they will live again. Speak to those dry bones. Amen. 
Oh my goodness, that's powerful. Oh, I've enjoyed this interview so much. I know there will be so many people that this will touch and this will reach because I know I have a prodigal out there and I know several others that have prodigals out there. And so I know this will touch them. It's touched my heart so much. Thank you again, Makiva, for coming on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. I appreciate your testimony. Thank you for having me. All right, everybody, until next time on The Real Talk 238, have a blessed and wonderful day. Thank you for listening to The Real Talk 238 podcast for this week's episode. If you have enjoyed this episode of The Real Talk 238 podcast, please subscribe so you will be notified when new episodes are released. If you would like to leave a comment, or there is a topic you would like discussed on The Real Talk 238 podcast, you can drop an email at therealtalk238 at gmail.com. You can also find The Real Talk 238 podcast on Facebook and Instagram listed as at The Real Talk 238. As a reminder, The Real Talk 238 podcast is not a substitute, nor does it replace therapy. Always seek the advice of your physician or a qualified licensed mental health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or mental health disorder. Until next time, have a blessed day.